on the screen. Um, but this is a well-known story about a young man. The official term is the prodigal son. Prodigal means the son that went away. And it's about a, a, a young man who lived with his father and, and his brother and his family in a, in a large home, probably a mansion with lots of um, fields and lots of cattle or whatever they looked after. They were quite wealthy. And he decided, as the youngest son, I want to take everything that's mine and I just want to go. I don't want any more to do with this life. I want to get out of it. And reluctantly, his father gave him what he was inherited, what he was going to inherit. Even though he was the youngest son, it didn't, it didn't happen with the youngest sons normally. It was the eldest son that would get that first. But he did it anyway, and he went away. And it's the story of, and everyone knows about the story of the prodigal son who went away, wasted all the money, got into real difficulties, and then decided to come back. Um, and there's been lots of preachers over the years, and I've done lots of preachers on this very subject of the son who went away. But I'm going to look at it just for 20 minutes or so on the father and his position of the son who went away and how the father reacted. Um, so it's Luke 15, if you've got your Bible, just keep it open. I'll be referring to some of the, the verses in, in that chapter. And after the son had squandered all the money, and he had nothing left. When he had money, he had lots of friends. When he'd run out of money, he didn't have many friends. He tried to get work, and he couldn't get much work. He was in a foreign country. Nobody really knew him. He was an outsider. He managed to get some work feeding pigs. And he got to such a low state that he, he decided that I'm so bad, I'm so hungry that I might even eat what the pigs are eating. And then he decided, and the Bible actually says that he came to his senses and decided, I'll go back to my father. That's where I belong. That's what I, I, I should be having there. Meals, everything set out for me, not eating with pigs. And he decided. And verse 20 says, as he's on his journey back to the father, verse 20 says, he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him come in. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and he embraced him and he kissed him. Your version might say something else. It might say that he fell on his neck and kissed him. He was full of love, full of compassion. He actually fell on him. He didn't say, well, Oh, you come crawling home, have you? You know, you might have wanted to. And, you know, I probably would have wanted to. Learned your lesson, have you? Oh, well, come on. Come back in. I hope, you, I hope you understand now that you were wrong. I was right. None of that. He didn't say that. He fell on him and cried and kissed him and loved him and hugged him. I don't know if you've ever lost a child. We had an experience of that when our eldest was just about five years of age, was she? Or two years of age, sorry. Two. We were in Disneyland in Florida and wandering around as you do. I thought my wife had 
Amelia? She thought I had her. When I asked her where she, where she was, she said, I don't know. I said, well, I don't know where she is. And, and I think we were there with my sister and my, brother, my brother-in-law. They didn't know where she was. And for we lost her for about half an hour, 45 minutes. I tell you what, that was the longest 45 minutes of our life. They'd shut off one section of the park. People were running around looking for her. We described what she looked like. We described how she waddles along. She was only two years of age. We, uh, what her hair was like, everything about her. Security were on their little things, you know, buzzing around looking. We eventually found her watching cartoons in a little house. Disney cartoons. But I tell you what, the desperation of the parents... This is what this father must have felt like. My son, he's gone. Have I lost him forever? But then he says, when he's seen him afar, he's seen him from afar. You know, and he, he could have been anybody, but he knew it was his son. You know how you recognize the person you love from afar. And the father recognized him from afar and he ran to him. The son was slowly coming back. And, and if you read through um, Luke 15, he was practicing his little speech that he had to give to the, his father. Well, I'm no longer able to be called your son. Just call me a servant. I've sinned against you. I've, I've sinned against God. Uh, I've upset you. I've embarrassed you. I'm this. I'm that. I've done that. Just, just treat me as a servant. Blah, blah. And he was practicing this over and he was plodding his way back. And as soon as the father saw him, he ran to him. You see, when you take one step towards God, He runs to you. He runs. But you have to make a step. You have to make a step. Even though the son came back slowly, the father ran to him. And then when he reached him, he embraced him. Or as that one translation says, he fell on his neck and hugged him. He fell upon him. It's as if he had no... Energy left. He just wanted his son. And there's a word which is, the, the word in the Greek is fantastic. And I've used this before a few times. And I love saying it because it's a fantastic word. It flows off, off the lips. The Greek word for falling and embracing is epipipto. Epipipto. Like saying it. And do you know what it means? It literally means this. I wrote it down. To fall into an embrace. To rush and press upon something. It's that you've run out of everything else. There's nothing you can say. Nothing you can do. Tears don't express it. You just fall into that person. And hold them. That's the Father's love. And the Father here represents God. The Son represents you and I. And this is how God feels over us. He just wants to fall into us. Sometimes we are the ones who, who say we should embrace God and we should come to God. It's He that wants to come to us. But we have to take a step. We have to come back. The other description of this epipipto, and I think it's the best one, it's to take possession of. He the father wanted to take possession again of his son. 
he became overwhelmed with the son's presence. Looking from the perspective of the father. Do you think God is actually overwhelmed with your presence? He is. He is. He's overwhelmed to be with you. Because he loves you so much. He loved us so much that he ran to us. He gave himself for us. Verse 21 of Luke 15. This was the part of the little speech that the son had. Verse 21, he says, he started to say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But then verse 22, but his father said to the servants, quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him. Get a ring and put on his finger. Put sandals on his feet. It's as if the father's not even interested in what the son's got to say. It's almost true. Because immediately the father saw the repentant heart. He heard just one word of repentance coming from him. And then that's enough. And I love that verse where it says in verse 22, but his father. But. But is like a pause, isn't it? And, and the father was saying, yeah, I know that. I've seen your heart. I see you have a repentant heart. I know what you've done. I know where you've been. I, I'm not really interested in all that now. All I know is I've got you back. I'm taking possession of you. The very fact that you have a repentant heart and you've returned. I'm going to take possession of you again. You see, as soon as the Lord sees a repentant heart, there is instant forgiveness. Instant forgiveness. And the Bible says this in when Paul wrote to the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 6. And I'm going to read... Uh, Verse 9 says, stop deceiving yourselves, he says. You know that you're all wicked. But then verse 11, that is what some of you were. And then I love this, but, there's a but there again. But you were washed, you are sanctified, you are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and in the Spirit of God. But, with God there's always a but. When you come to him and say, well, I've done this. I've been there. I've said this. I've held this against someone. I've turned my back on you. I've turned my back on others. And God goes, yes, but what about me? I've got this for you. I've prepared this for you. I have this that I want to give you. I've done this for you. But... God. There's always a but God in all our situations. I want to read these famous verses from Ephesians 2 and verse 3. Indeed, all of us once behaved like them in lusts of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh and senses. By nature, we deserve wrath, just like everyone else. But God who is rich in mercy because of his great love for us. Even when we were dead because of our offenses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. You see, there is a but God in the middle of everything. 
in your life, whatever situation you're going through, whatever you're thinking right now, whatever is inside you, there's a but God. God can pause every situation and just speak into it. You could have a but God moment right now. Because God can show you His love, His mercy, and His grace. You see, His love and His mercy and His grace equals forgiveness. Because the Father had this love and this mercy and grace about Him, it had to come out in forgiveness for the Son. He didn't hold anything against Him. And God forgives you. He forgives me. As soon as He sees that repentant heart. And if God is able to forgive, then we should be forgiven. The Bible says we should forgive. Because if we don't forgive, how can God forgive us if we're unforgiving? Because if you harbor unforgiveness in your heart, it brings rise to all sorts of bitterness. If you're holding a grudge in your heart or resentment, it will tie you up in knots inside. And some people have not just become spiritually ill because of this, they become actually physically ill. And it's proven. So we need to forgive just like God the Father forgives. And verse 22, he said to bring a robe, bring a ring, and bring shoes. These were not just any old robe. This was not just any old ring. This was not just any old shoes. These were, these were things that had a meaning. They represented something. It meant that he was honored to be back in the father's house. The robe showed some dignity. It showed that he was honored. There's a verse in the Old Testament in Isaiah and it says, I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for He has clothed me with garments of salvation. And He's arrayed me in a robe of righteousness. Our Father puts a robe of righteousness on us. He puts the finest garments spiritually on us. We are clothed with Christ. And then the ring was to symbolize wealth. When you come to the Lord, when you come, come back to the Father, just like the Son did, we have the wealth of what He has at our disposal because He is our Father. We're part of that family. What's His is ours. And then to have shoes put on His feet. You know that in these days, servants didn't wear shoes and this is why when the son was going through his little speech, what he was going to say, he says, I'll become one of your servants. He didn't have shoes on. What did the father say? No way. He said, you're my son. You'll wear shoes. And when we come to the Lord, he doesn't treat us like servants. He treats us like sons and daughters. Every single person he treats like a son. And a daughter. Acts, the book of Acts, when the early church started, they wrote this. In Acts 4 and verse 12, it says that there is salvation in no one else. 
There is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way to heaven. Only one way to the Father. And that is through Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Through him. You see, death doesn't separate us from God. Sin separates us. Death doesn't. And the Bible talks about this in Luke 20. Just a few verses, a few chapters on from what we've been reading. And it says this, Luke 20 and verse 38. So the Lord isn't the God of the dead, but of the living. This means that everyone is alive as far as God is concerned. You see, death to God is nothing. Because he doesn't look at our body when our body dies. He looks at our very eternal soul. And to him, we're all alive. Whether our body is dead or alive. It just depends on us where we spend eternity. Because death doesn't separate us from God. He sees our souls, not our bodies. He's outside of time. It's up to us where we spend eternity. Our decisions now make a difference then. So you're known to Him. Just like the Father knew the Son, He knows you. He knows everything about you. You may say, well, I've never had anything to do with Him. I've never prayed. I've never talked to God. I've never been to church. I don't know anything about. But He knows you. We are His creation. He knows everything about us. You know, for me, it's a no-brainer. I want eternal life with the Father, with God the Father. So for me, I want Jesus Christ in my life so that I can get to Him. And in verse 23 of Luke 15, it says that they killed the fatted calf. They had a party. There was music. There was dancing. There was celebration. And the Bible talks about when one person comes back to the Father, there's a party in heaven. It's a celebration. The word that the Bible uses, redeemed. When you redeem something, is you buy it back. If you sold something... And you wanted to buy it back, you'd have to go to the shop or the person you sold it to and say, look, I want that back. Or it was taken from you and now you need to have to buy it back. You have to redeem it. And this is what God has done with us. He has redeemed us. And he's had to pay a price. And the price was Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ... 2,019 years ago, died as a sacrifice for the whole of mankind. That was the price. The Bible says we've been bought with a price, redeemed back to the Father so that we can be His possession, Him and us together again. But we have to make the first step. I'm going to ask Lawrence to come and Hannah, and we're just going to perhaps sing something to finish with. And
what we're going to do while we, we're singing or worshiping right now. We're going to take communion. You may be a visitor with us. You may never have taken communion before, but you're quite welcome to take communion. We take bread and we take wine. We'll pass it around. You're quite welcome. The bread represents the body of Jesus Christ. The blood represents His blood that was shed because there was a sacrifice. But it was for a reason. Because the Bible says without that sacrifice, there's no cleansing from sin. And Jesus Christ became the ultimate sacrifice. No longer did they need to sacrifice animals. He said, I will become that ultimate sacrifice. That's why. So that we can get to God because of Him. So when we come to God right now, we come through Jesus Christ, and God is clothes us. He puts this robe of righteousness, which is Jesus Christ, on us. And we remember that because Jesus says, remember this until I come again. And so as we are worshiping, people will come around and they'll pass the bread and the wine. If you want to take it, that's fine. It's up to you. Then we will eat and we will drink it together. If you don't, then that's fine as well. Crucifixion, the fountains open deep and wide, and through the flood gates of God's mercy flow the vast and gracious tide for grace and love like mighty rivers. They poured in sin from above And hence peace and perfect justice Kissed the guilty world in So let me all thy love accepting and love thee for all my days. Oh, let me seek thy kingdom only and my life. me thou thyself has set me free what can wash away our sin what can make us whole again it's nothing but the blood nothing but the blood of Jesus 
walk and wash as pure as snow. Welcomed as the friends of God, it's nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away our sin? Oh, what can make us whole again? It's nothing but the blood, nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash us pure as the snow? Welcomed as the friends of God is nothing but the blood. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. 